Into the Van is Dead. Welcome to the Rogue Country Podcast. How are you guys doing? I'm super excited for this brand new episode of this brand new format with this brand new redesign because, you know, I'd had five episodes of Into the Van recorded actually in the van and I just didn't think it was the best way forward to try and promote this, try and engage with people, try and get new listeners. So we have launched the Rogue Country Podcast, still me. Still the exact same incredible guests. We've got Brittany Collins today. But I just wanted to bring in the Rogue Country fans, the Rogue Country family. And I wanted to bring in a cooler look. I know it sounds weird, but I just think Rogue Country's got such an amazing way to sound. And it's got a cool design. I love the logos that we put together for it. And, you know, Into the Van was kind of spinning in its own little universe. I have my music. Then we had Rogue Country, and we were trying to do stuff with that, and the radio show is too much of a ball ache to really run, so what can we do to provide this? And it's I'm talking to these incredible artists who deserve a better and bigger platform, and Rogue Country provides that platform, so this is now the Rogue Country podcast, and I'm super excited to get going with it. I really cannot thank you enough for sticking with us. This is the 51st episode. We've done 50 of these things. And it is thanks to you listening that we get to keep doing them. So I really, truly appreciate it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating on iTunes or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. And let's get down to brass tacks and what is happening right now. Before we get down to it with Brittany Collins, whose brand new album, Things I Tell My Therapist, is out this week on Friday, 2nd of September. We've got some live dates for you. Yes! If you're listening to this podcast and you're in Manchester on the day of this podcast release, which is the 29th of August on Monday, I am playing with Whitney Rose at the Rose and Monkey Hotel in Manchester. I cannot wait for that. Her music's great. After that, we've got the Americana International Festival on the 10th of September. And then this is a really cool thing that's happening in October. I am going on the road with Chris Dover and Jody Davis of Fargo Railroad Company. We are doing a little run of three dates. We're doing the Running Horse in Nottingham on the 14th of October, the Alder in Sheffield on the 15th of October, and the Boren Fable in Bradford on the 16th of October. Now, the cool thing is that's the three of us playing these shows together. But in Nottingham, we're joined by Cold Hands, who's an amazing artist in Nottingham. On the 15th of October in Sheffield, we are joined by the one and only Josh Bettis. And then it's just the three of us in Bradford. And these are going to be songwriting round shows. And I cannot wait for it. I'm going to be doing completely different sets than I normally do. I think this is going to be more of a sit-down affair. People are really going to be paying attention to the lyrics. And I can't wait to bust some songs out for that vibe. Then, on the 6th of November at the York in Bolton, I can't believe I get to do this. I am playing with Nick Shoulders and Grave Dancer. Yes, the Nick Shoulders and the Grave Dancer. They're on a UK tour around November. And I am lucky enough to be opening the show in Bolton. Tickets are available now. And if that's not enough, November keeps on rolling with the legendary Cam Cole. He was on this podcast. I toured with him last year. He's phenomenal. I'm going to be playing four dates with him. The Night and Day in Manchester on the 17th of November. Boom in Leeds on the 19th of November, Corporation Sheffield on the 24th of November, and the Bodega in Nottingham on the 27th of November. This is what my year looks like in terms of gigs, and I am so hyped for it. I hope to see you at a show, but let's get down to what we're here for. Brittany Collins is joining me today on the Rogue Country Podcast to talk about her new album, Things I Tell My Therapist. It is available everywhere from September 2nd, so this week on Friday, you can listen to this amazing album. She's been influenced by folks like Brandy Carlisle, 
Jason Isbell, Jack White, Chris Stapleton, and we get into, you know, being born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, what the music scene's like there, what it's like being a woman in the music industry, how the internet has impacted the music industry as a whole, and then we get to talk about some of their amazing songs, like the Belvedere Hotel. It's an eight-minute epic that I cannot recommend highly enough. From start to finish, this is an album you want to hear. So welcome to episode 51 of the Rogue Country Podcast with Mike West and Brittany Collins. You just said you're in Washington State. Like, I don't know that much about the Pacific Northwest. I know like Seattle, Portland, and Mount Rainier. And that's kind of like my knowledge of that area. (laughs) That's kind of what everybody knows, right? Yeah. yeah, so I'm where I'm at. I I've always lived in like small towns. I live um in a little community that like um we live just at the base of this. It's literally called Little Mountain. It's a <laughs> it's a little mountain. Um mm. we're not very creative in our naming places around here, but um it's about an uh hour and a half from the Canadian border. Oh, cool. Um so, you know, in about an hour outside of Seattle. Mm. Um so, you know, I mean, you know, as a musician, like I'm traveling all the time anyway, you know, like I, you know, I don't play the same, you know, city more than once a month. So it's Mm. like, I don't really care where I live because I'm just going to end up driving all over the place anyway, you know, Um, and it's certainly a lot cheaper and prettier where I live than. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's such a valid point. And I think in this day and age, especially like back in the day, like I've been listening to the cocaine and rhinestones podcast and it is like, oh yeah back in the day you had to move to Nashville you had to move to Texas you had to move to those places Mm -hmm. and now it does seem like I'm in you know we're next to Liverpool in the UK you're in the Pacific Northwest it doesn't have to be like a centralized one place to find your target or your audience or people who like care it's been really cool to see just the kind of evening out of opportunities in terms of where you need to go yeah totally and you know I mean I I'm I'm going to be honest, you know, like before the pan, I don't want to be the pandemic podcast, right. But like the pandemic did change a lot for me in terms of strangely enough. um, It was kind of the kick in the ass that I needed to be like, I can't not do music, right. I need to do it all the time as often as I Mm. possibly can, because this, you know, when everything was shut down it like, you know, I kind of have a little bit of an identity crisis, like, Mm. you know, um, but there's so many opportunities that just like you said, would not have been available like before all of this, you know, like I still think, you know, it's, it's helpful to like make those in-person connections, you know, yeah. you meet people at shows, you meet people, you know, I do travel. Right. And, but you can maintain those connections online now and you can kind of, you know, I have, you know, musicians, songwriters that I'm friends with on Instagram that I've never met. And we're yeah. like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about like the latest, you know, music news or like, oh, this crazy thing that just came out or, um, you know, like, uh, you know, we'll like share tips or like, you know, share each other's singles and stuff. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, that's a real friendship that is developed with a person that I've never actually met, you know? Um, I think, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Lori McKenna's, Mm -hmm. um, and and she l- was talking about how much it's changed because she's actually from Boston and spent a lot of time in Nashville. And she was talking about, you know, now she just does most of her co-writes on Zoom. Yeah. You know, I've done a bunch of co-writes on Zoom. It's like actually very convenient. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know? the thing. It's like 
want let's just removing barriers because even if you yeah. wanted to go out it's like well i have to drive to you know x and i don't know america's mm-hmm. massive so i assume yeah. most people are at least an hour or two away so then yeah. it's it's just adding to time where if you can hop on zoom and it's cool to see that's happening like i've just started a group chat with all like my musician friends on whatsapp and it's like they're all scattered across the country but it's just nice to have that like immediate connection where you don't see them face to face but you can still check in with each other and there's just that still regular like community building and just that scene that's Mm -hmm. growing but with you coming from the pacific northwest i read in your like press kit that i got sent that like there is a northwest music scene up that way before the pandemic and stuff what Mm -hmm. so you grew up in the pacific northwest is this way always been so you grew up in that scene was there anything because obviously the northwest is famous for the grunge scene what was it like coming up was there an americana like a country scene a country rock scene well so you know and i you know i'm obviously like not like a representative for all of the pacific northwest i would say like a little bit of the answer I'm going to give you probably could be applied to like the entire world because we really live in a world now with like digital music Mm. where I do think things are a lot more, it's a lot less, you listen to whatever's on the radio, right? You Mm. have three stations and you either listen to the rock station or the pop station, right? Or the country station. It's, it's less like that. Like, I don't, I don't know the last time I turned on the radio, right? (laughs) I'm, I have, I have, my podcasts, I have Spotify, I have YouTube, I have all, you know, like I get music from a lot of places. I mostly think I probably get music from like seeing friends post stuff and being like, Oh, what's that? You know? Um, And so I think the Pacific Northwest is just like the rest of the world in that sense, where it's like, there's, there's all these niche music scenes, right. There's actually a really strong metal scene here. Um, And uh, there's, there's a lot of rock, obviously. you know, there's a, there's a big country scene actually where I grew up country was like the thing. And Mm. I, I will say, unfortunately, I kind of like missed out on that because like, I just, it was like very like bro country, you know, it was the popular (laughs) thing. And not that that's, you know, like to each their own. Right. But that's what I associated country music fans with. Mm. Right. It was like, and then, you know, it's like, I kind of grew up a little bit and, and expanded my worldview and realized that like roots and country music and like Americana as like a subgenre of that right is is really just like you know punk rock in that mm. it's it's made by people who are generally you know broke and and marginalized in some way or another and ignored by the rest of society and frustrated you know mm. um and and so like it's it's the themes translate, right? So like when I was growing up, there was a lot of like, I was always going to like punk shows, you know, I was obviously like, I, you know, I was, you know, it's a cliche, but I did, you know, like my, I was listening to Pearl Jam and Nirvana (laughs) and Soundgarden and all those bands growing up. They were my like idols, right? That, that was the, the dream, you know, we all do that. We all have, wherever you come from, there's always the local legends where you're like, they made it, you know, they did the thing (laughs) that the rest of us want to do. And so I was just as susceptible to that as anybody else. And so I think that I have this weird, that's part of the reason, like, I, I kind of feel like I find my sound hard to categorize sometimes because like, I do feel like I had that foundation of being really into like rock and like grunge and punk. Right. And then 
almost kind of deconstructing and going back to roots music as being like, oh, this is where everything comes from. Yeah. You know? Um, and then kind of like I got into like roots and country and Americana, kind of like I didn't get into that until I was like in my 20s and mm. starting to kind of like realize that oh, there's all these amazing singer-songwriters that like write really, really good music, you know. Um, and and I was kind of aligned with that. And so like where I live, strangely enough, I live in it's a place called Skagit Valley, which is, um, there's a ton of like just ridiculous like songwriters around mm -hmm. here. And I have this theory that like a lot of us are just getting priced out of the cities. And so you are starting to see a lot more young artists like moving into rural communities mm -hmm. because they can afford it yeah. and they can actually do art um, and still like afford to live like, you know, a reasonably comfortable life. Right. Um and so I'm really fortunate. There's a great songwriting community where I'm at, um, really diverse, um, you know, like people in all kinds of different stuff and, you know, um, blues, country, Americana, um, you know, rock, uh, you know, um, it's all out there. And so mm -hmm. I've found a good community. I think just wherever you're at, obviously it depends on where you're at in the Pacific Northwest, yeah. but there are those like little pocket communities where you can like find a home and, and be part of a scene. Yeah. No, it's awesome. it sounds similar to like, I don't know if you follow like gems on VHS and stuff, but you see the yeah. like Arkansas Ozark area with like Nick Shoulders mm -hmm. and Willie Carlisle coming out. And it seems yeah. to be, it does have that vibe where it's like people have moved out the cities and tried to yeah. just create their own thing. But one of the interesting things I think about like the Pacific Northwest and the grunge scene is I think like the Nirvana Unplugged album has a lot of explaining to do for a lot of people of our generation picking up acoustics and like oh, yeah. finding country music stuff because the first exposure I had to that kind of stuff was you know uh, where did you sleep last night the like Led Belly call oh yeah did. oh yeah yeah and that was like a revelation then you know you go back and you find Led Belly then you find Woody Guthrie yeah. and then like you're on your way yeah well that's totally true I mean and I will say this like you know that's kind of I really do credit that with a lot of like my musical influence was that I was finding, I love these bands. Right. But it's so funny to me. There's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on, you know, and like grunge metal yeah. scene. Right. But so many of these songs are like, if you strip them down to acoustics, they're just ballads, you know, yeah. like they're, they're like straight up, like beautiful ballads, you know, yeah. um, they just have crunchy rock guitar being played over them most of the time. Um, and so I actually was finding like, wow, I, you know, I really love, like, I actually find that I like the acoustic version of some of these songs more, mm. right. Because it's the, like, you're stripping it down to the essence of the song. Mm. Um, not always, but you know, yeah. a lot of the time. And um, yeah, I don't know if you're, I mean, you know, one of the big, for me, the kind of crossover artists with like that, helped me kind of make that jump was uh, Frank Turner, mm. you know, um, because that was kind of my first experience of like, this is like a, a guy who was like in the punk scene yeah. who plays an acoustic guitar, but he plays an acoustic guitar loudly and yeah. with a lot of vigor. Right. Um, and so that was kind of a lot of my inspiration was like, Oh, well, I can do that. Mm. You know, I don't have to be like this fantastic bluegrass flat picker to be able to like write a good song. No. Like guitar, no, that's, you know? that's the thing. It's like, you see, you know, Kirk Cobain played one of those songs or you see just a band strip it down and you go, oh, it, actually, that's just like three chords. But it, yeah. it, it is that gatekeeping thing. Like I saw my ass with all that Stranger Things bullshit that's been happening about all these oh, yeah. people seeing their ass about kids discovering Metallica. 
one of the biggest metal bands to ever walk yeah there. right and they're annoyed about how they found it. i'm like lad you probably found it through school of rock sit down right right i know and there's always i don't know the older generation always does this to the younger generation and i try really hard not to do this because i just think it's like it's just such a cliche man right like but i'm like i know i remember being like 15 years old and uh finding my parents like tape collection you know and my Mm. my parents were pretty young when they had me and so they had like you know ozzy and metallica and cinderella and like uh Ingbe Malmsteen and all nice. like that, you know? Yeah. And I was like, this is great. You know, I, I was so into it. I loved it. And like, I, you know, some of those songs, again, are just beautiful, like ballads, mm. right? But they have like crunchy rock guitar being played over them. Um, you know, and so it's funny because I'm like, well, I I think back to myself as a kid. It's not that I thought I like invented Metallica or like <laughs> was the first person to know about Metallica, but I was really excited about it. And this was like a thing, this was new to me, right? And mm. so, you know, like if a younger generation is finding these bands and they're excited about it, like awesome, you know, yeah. like it doesn't matter where you find things, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but like my generation, Tony Hawk Pro Skater was where we like, you know, how many of those songs like, that, like you know, still are like stuck in your head, you know? No, 100% like Papa Roach, <laughs> uh, who else? Public Enemy, like the yeah. Tony Hawk Pro Skater was one. Uh, Bad Religion. That was yeah, like back, a big, oh, yeah, yeah, jumping off point for Bad Religion. Yeah, I remember when I had my old iPod, I had the Tony Hawk soundtracks like on it and yeah. just like click through it all. And it, but it is one of those things. I don't know if it's that excitement you feel of finding a band. And then in some, your mind goes twisted into thinking if someone else finds it, it takes away your excitement from it. So that's why I think people get really like tense about those type of things, because mm. it's, it's a really weird thing. And it's, it's a weird when it's such a big band. That's the thing that confused me when it was right, like, yeah. when it was like Kate Bush biggest... and it's like, <laughs> one I don't of the know the biggest if, rock yeah. bands to ever exist. Right. Yeah. Like Metallica's black album still like the biggest selling metal album of all time. <laughs> But you're getting mad that someone, like a teenager on Stranger Things, played like it on guitar. It's it's a really yeah. insane thing to do. It, uh, yeah, it's weird how the gatekeeping industry just like or like not industry, like society and thinking just mm-hmm. works. Because then that would put someone off getting into that music, and you yeah. want people to find like how amazing metal is, how amazing rock is, how amazing country is. Yeah. Well, and. I don't know. I might have a different like perspective on this a little bit as like a woman, right? Because no matter how old I get, like, you know, there's always like, you know, as a woman in the music industry, like it's like a running joke with Mm. like, I'm sure, you know, you might've heard this, right. But like amongst women, I know that this is a running joke. And if I made this joke to any woman, they would totally like, they they would know what I'm talking about is like this joke that like, if you wear a band t-shirt, you know, like a guy will be like, Name, name their fun. entire discography you know and who produced all three of those albums and like you know it's like it's like you have to like prove that yeah. you like know everything about a band in for your fandom to be like legitimized yeah right? it has to be like you have to have like an actual level of knowledge and I, that has that is a super accurate thing and it's even i've yeah. read him like uh, the white zombie basis sean you salt um, she wrote mm-hmm. a really cool book set. I'm with the band, 
And it's mm. her experiences coming through for White Zombie. And she gets stopped going onto the stage because he was like, no groupies oh, yeah. past this point. She's like, I am the fucking basis yeah. of White Zombie. And it yeah. is, there is that like sexist level to gatekeeping, especially. I don't know if because Stranger Things is like a younger audience and it's a yeah. wide demographic, including a lot of girls who were finding Metallica, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what was their original basis name or whatever? Or who was the producer right. of Ride the Line? And it's like, can't you just enjoy things, man? Yeah. But, but I also well, don't me, know. It's from... like, that's like the antithesis of like art. That's like not what art is supposed to be, right? Mm. Like it's supposed to be like this way of communicating, right? Like yeah. it's how we is like art is like such an more than anything else. It is mm. such a uniquely human experience, yeah. right? Because since the dawn of time, we've been making art, we've been making sounds and we've been making, you know, drawing pictures and, you know, um, and we've been trying to entertain each other. Yeah. Um, and so it's so silly to say like, you can't enjoy this art unless you have like this expertise in the art, because that's literally not the point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I want you to be like, if you, if a song comes on the radio and you like that song, you're allowed to like that song, regardless yeah. of if you actually know who that artist is. Yeah. Totally. And I don't know if the gatekeeping, especially with like when it's men against women being like name five bands, I don't know if that's a load of neckbeards trying to be like, I'm going to impress her. And then they think in their head, that's how they're going to do it. And it's just a lot of insecure fucking idiots who are trying to be like, if I can reel off the producer of this 1993 black metal album, then she'll see. And it's just like, it's one of those really insecure things, but it's, it's such like a projected thing. And especially in like, the metal community I've run across in like my area where there's a lot of insecure guys just being like, this is ours, but please love me. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, it's so funny. I don't know if it stems from like this idea that a lot of men think that like, if they play music, that'll like get them chicks. And then Mm. they're like offended if they're also chicks doing it because they're like, this was my way to get chicks. Get the fuck (laughs) out of here. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I don't know. And obviously not all men, like, right. Like, I don't, I shouldn't have to say that, but like, there's this sense that like, well, if, like, if anybody ever teased me for this thing, like, then, you know, I'm kind of like grumpy about anybody else liking it because I suffered for liking this or whatever, but it's like, well, dude, every, everybody gets teased for something stupid, like high, you know, high school, middle school, whatever. Yeah. Like we've all gotten teased for stupid mm. stuff. Like that doesn't mean that you own that thing. No. Right. Um, oh, sorry. Um, I had like a pop-up, uh, but yeah, I don't know what it is, you know, and, it, and it's not exclusive to music, right? Like, no, but it's like, even you know, the tech that community like, is like that comics yeah. are like that. But it's even that vein of thinking where it's like, I've seen the student loan debate where it's like, well, if you erase student loans now, I paid my student loan. And yeah. it's like, yeah, it, it's that it's like, it's, I had to suffer. So you do too. Right? Yeah. It's, it's that spectrum of things where it's like, if I had to suffer, you have to suffer no matter what yeah. it is. And it's a really weird fucking thing. But moving on from suffering. Yeah, right. <laughs> your new album is really fucking good oh thanks i've really been enjoying it. i've really been enjoying listening and things i tell my therapist was that where did that like title come from like, in terms of the formation of the album did you have like yeah. the song and the themes ready or was it something that kind of fell in place as you started putting the album together yeah so um we were kind of already like writing the album and actually what it came from is is 
um, that's the title of one of the songs mm. on the album. And I, I was just in a weird, really weird place where like, so I was, you know, everything was shut down. I was in graduate school at the time, kind of making a career transition really because of all of that. Like I, you know, I was finding myself a lot, a lot more invested in music and like just mm. dedicating all of this time. And I was also engaged. And so there's something about like all of these things going on at once where I just was like thinking a lot about mm. like, you know, all my life decisions and like, you know, and, and, and everything that got me to this point And like, you know, um, and, and I was like, on a, I just was on a hike one day mm. and I wrote this, the song things I tell my therapist just like kind of started like a melody came into my head and I started yeah. writing. I was like literally typing it out on my notes app while I was like <laughs> typing around in the woods. Um, and by the time I got home, I just like had a song and, um, I kind of like semi-jokingly named it things I tell my therapist because it literally was like, you know, I, I, I had ironically being in graduate school, um, for the first time I had health insurance that mm. like really paid for a therapist. Right? Really? So, like, um, I, I was in therapy and I was like joking that like, you know, like, oh, I should have just said this to my therapist instead of writing a song, but here it is, you know? Mm. Um, and so it kind of started as like a joke, but then I was like, no, I mean, actually this album and, you know, th that song, but also the album in general really was kind of mostly written during a time where I was kind of like grappling with all this stuff, right? Like mm. all of the things that had made me who I am and influenced how I communicate and the types of love I accept and the types of treatment that I accept mm. and the way that I treat other people and the expectations that I have for the world. Right. And so I was like, think, you know, grappling with all these things and trying to like, kind of, I guess, decide like what was going to stay and what was going to go, mm. you know, in terms of like, there's, there are things that I probably need to like work past, right. Like yeah. that those need to get left I need to like work through them and like leave them behind. And then there's other things that I want to like, you know, run towards. And that, you know, specifically was music, mm. um, you know? And so the album for me was really just, it was like my diary. I was like writing about like my upbringing and the, the things that really um, shaped who I became and like mm. my philosophy about like trying to, you know, overcome like, use the things that that hurt you so to speak to like be better mm. you know um and in particular you know i'm i i like you know there's a lot of people like in the music industry in particular you hear people who are like there's like one camp that's like everything is just who you know it's not about talent yeah. at all you might as well just give up because nobody makes it and it's all just a corporate machine right mm. and then you have the other side that's like you just got to hustle and like manifest your dreams and like, and like, you know, if you want it hard enough, it'll come. And I'm kind of somewhere in the middle where yeah. I'm like, well, no, I mean, I think that, I think that it does require a lot of hard work. It's a very, there's a lot of inequities in this industry. There's a lot of bullshit. Right. Mm. Um, but also there's a lot of really like fantastic, amazing supportive communities. Right. Mm. And like, you just got to like find those communities and like, run towards those and try to like ignore the other stuff. And like, at the end of the day, I may not have control over a lot of things, right? Like I don't have control over whether or not I get a million streams on Spotify. 
but I have control over how good the song is and I have control over the production and yep. I have control over, you know, so it's like, I just try to focus on the things I do have control over. And I think the same thing about like coming through life, right? Like I didn't have control over my upbringing. I didn't have control over any of that stuff, mm. but I'm trying to use it to like take care of other people, be better, be a, a force for good. And, mm. you know, so like, I don't fall into the camp of like, everything's fucked or like you just have to like be positive all the time. Right. It's like, no things there, things are fucked, yeah. um, but also there are good things out there and you can like, just like try to fill your life as much as possible with them and, you know, just get through the rest of it. Yeah, no, totally. I think there is in either the music industry or in life, there's a lot of denial that's really easy to fall into. And even yeah. in like, you know, if you have trauma growing up, it's easy to just deny and say that didn't happen yeah try and move on and just be treading water but it is there and it's finding healthy ways to accept that and take it forward that's the hard thing I've always found and it's the same thing with like music and stuff where yeah it's who you know to a point it's what you know but again like if you deny your optimistic side to be like well if there's a chance that I just work really hard and believe in what I'm doing this might happen anyway because there's so many examples like I've just been reading um, Marissa Moss's book Hair Country and it's following like mm-hmm. women in country music and it's a really interesting read following like Casey Musgraves and Mara Moss and stuff and the industry is stacked against women and it is stacked yeah. against minorities and people of color and it's fine and then fuck you guys we're gonna create our own community we're gonna create our own scene yeah. and go in the ways that aren't you know the gatekeeping established ways and it's being realistic of the world around you but being optimistic that things can be better if you open yourself up to those opportunities yeah outside of that narrow frame yeah absolutely yeah and I mean like one example that you know again it comes back to that thing where you know it's like I really have a hard time understanding the impulse when people do that thing where they're like, I suffered, so you should have to Mm. suffer too. Cause I don't feel that way. I like, I, I want the world to be a better place for the people coming up underneath of me, you know, like, and you know, um, so there's all, you know, like, for example, there's a lot of people who would say like, you know, how can you have as much money as Jeff Bezos and like, not like, give it away or like give your employees Mm. health insurance. Right. And it's like, well, Jeff Bezos became Jeff Bezos by not caring about the experiences employees were having. Right. And so like, I heard, I I was listening to a TikTok and this woman was talking about like her dad was a business owner and like, you know, it's not that you get to that level and then decide to be a dick. It's that those are small decisions that you make all the way up. Right. And so she was like, my dad, like, you know, in his business, like chooses to give his employees health insurance and give them paid time off and, and parental leave and all these things that a lot of small businesses don't do, at least in America. Mm. Right. Um, because he didn't want to have to go to work every day and look these people in the eye and know that he was screwing them over. And does that like, does that mean that he still has to go, go in every day? He can't just like sit at home and, and get, free money. Yeah. But that's a decision that he made based on like, you know, so I think about the same thing as a musician, I'm very, you know, small, right. Like in terms of like, I'm nobody in the grand scheme of things, but it's really important to me to be making decisions like now and making decisions like 
consciously all the time about like, you know, like how I'm going to treat people, mm. how I'm going to build community, how I'm going to offer people a hand, even when I don't feel like I have that much to give. Mm. Right. I want to say like, Hey, if you need any, you know, if you need a leg up, let me know, you know, mm. um, because I don't want to just perpetuate the same world that mm. we've all, I don't want to get ahead at the expense of other people, you know, yeah. who are just, passionate about this like me you know no totally and i think the system we're brought up in in terms of like capitalist and stuff it's in whatever industry you're in if you're in musical whatever it's always mm-hmm. kind of the viewpoint if you get it someone else isn't getting it but yeah. that's not the case and that mentality right. needs to kind of be abolished where if we succeed someone else can still succeed there's still gigs mm-hmm. to go around there's still you know different tours different support yeah. slots different listeners that everyone can go people may go at different times but it's still being able to rise together you don't have to put anyone down to push yourself forward yeah absolutely well and you know I'm you know maybe again you know coming back to like you know some of the topics on the album right like is is you know um you know I I have this song on the album it's called Adria and it's about a woman that I met who was um homeless uh living out of her car Mm. um and she was in a car wreck and uh destroyed her car um literally was discharged from the hospital without clothes or shoes or like nothing Mm. right and like she just was so such a not that you have to be right but she was such a like lovely warm person who just really was very grateful for everything that like, you know, we were like, I I worked as a social worker at the time and we were able to like connect her with some resources. And, but it just really made me stop and think about like, you know, what we're grateful for. Right. And what we can offer each other, because in that moment, nothing, no, no feeling in the world compares to feeling like this person was in a really shitty situation Mm. and I made a difference in their life, you know, even just, in a small way. Right. And so I really try to like apply, you know, I always say, like, I always, when I play that song live, I always say, you know, the song is about building a longer table instead of a taller fence, Mm -hmm. you know? And it just, to me, I wrote it as like a reminder almost to myself that like, we tend to think about our interactions with other people in a very transactional way. Like I give, I gave you this, what are you giving me? Right. But I think as humans, um, there's intrinsic value just in companionship and just in knowing that we're taking care of each other. Mm. Right. And so that's really important to me. And that's something that I would like, again, was a big theme on the album was like, how can we grow? You know, how can I lift other people up at the same time that I'm lifting myself up and how can I try to make other people who are maybe in similar situations as me, maybe they feel like I'm too old to, to start a music career Mm. or like, I don't even, you know, I'm a woman and like, you know, it can be a really toxic place in the music industry for women. And like, how can I, you know, write a song that kind of tells people like, you know, like, fuck it, do, do what you want to do, like do it now, Mm. you know? Um, And, you know, don't worry, you know, like just do it because, you know, just sharing your experience with people can be really like affirming, you know? 
Um, and like, I just want, like, you know, it's like all about visibility, right? Like I want people to know, like, you don't have to be like a 20 year old ingenue, um, guitar virtuoso, right. To like write meaningful music, make meaningful art. Yeah, no, totally. There's never a wrong time to do anything in life. If you want to do it, just grab it and go with it. But what I really enjoyed about like your songs is there is that like optimism to it. And it's in the face of you've like from what I can get because I listened to your first EP from 2015. Oh yeah. The confidence and like even like the power in your voice has changed so much in the seven years. I Mm -hmm. really think like from those two EPs, it's like you really found who you are in this record. And I think having that optimism in the face of like knowing who you are is a really powerful thing to listen to. Even if you know someone is going through it, they can listen to that and it's like a rock for them to like cling on to, to be like, well, this is what I know for a fact. And they can gravitate towards those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I totally agree. Like I, you know, there's a reason that there was such a big amount of time. Like when I made that EP in 2015, like it was literally, I had no, you know, I had three songs to my name, like at all. Right. And, and that was my first experience ever being in the studio. I didn't really know how to like communicate what I wanted. Right. Like Mm. it was very much just like a jam that we were recording. Right. But it was a good experience because it taught me a lot. And then I think I, you know, part of the reason there was so much time in between there was because I did really feel like I was looking for like my authentic voice as an artist and Mm. trying to figure out like, what do I sound like? What is, yeah. you know, what does my experience sound like? What is my perspective on the world sound like, right? How can I write a song that's like not just, you know, anybody could have written this, yeah. you know? No, totally. Carrying on with the album, one of the yeah. uh, songs that really hit me and I thought was really interesting, I'd love to get into, was the Belvedere Hotel, oh, which yeah. as a standout track, it's like eight minutes long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's about an unsolved mystery of Ray Rivera. Yeah. Was, was that a Netflix documentary? I think, did I, I did I watch a series about yeah. that? It was, a, it was an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. what was it that jumped out about that as a songwriting topic or as a something of interest? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So uh, I've always been like, I'm just a big, I've always been like a really big, like true crime fan. Mm. Like to the point where when I was a little kid, I would like sneak down uh, to our like basement where the TV was like, uh, and we had like, uh, it was like our rec room or whatever, but, um, and uh, I would like watch, uh, you know, like all these true crime shows, 40, first 48, Mm. you know, whatever, all those about like. And then, you know, as like a nine-year-old kid, like terrify myself Mm -hmm. and then not be able to sleep and drive my mom up a wall because she was like, stop watching the shows. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I've always just been really into that stuff. I don't know why I'm so fascinated by it, but like, so I was sitting at home with my, the story is I was sitting at home with my husband and we were just like, you know, smoking weed, watching TV, just (laughs) enjoying our weekend, right? And I don't know what it was about that particular story, but I just was like so interested in it. Um, so like the story itself is is kind of crazy, right? Like your typical unsolved mystery stuff, like guy disappears, turns up dead. We don't know why, like, right. Mm. You know, um, and I just was really interested in that whole aspect of it. 
And then what happened was, is I just like had to know more. And so I like listened to, there's a, um, a woman who lived in the apartment building. So the whole thing is, is the Belvedere hotel is like a famous old hotel mm-hmm. in Baltimore. Right. And in Maryland. And, um, and it was open in like the, you know, early 1900s. And it was like the site, you know, during prohibition, debaucherous, chaotic parties. Right. Like, um, I read somewhere that they had like bubble parties and like (laughs) princes would come and like, you know, it was a whole big thing. And then, you know, of course, like throughout the decades, right. It went through periods of like, kind of being more run down and Mm. was sold a couple of times and there was several mysterious deaths there have been several mysterious deaths there um and so and then at one point part of the hotel was converted into apartment buildings Mm. and so uh this woman who lived in one of the apartments uh was a writer and she lived there when this all was going down and so she wrote a book about like trying to like investigate what was happening Mm. while she was living there Um, and so I just like was reading all the articles, became really interested in the history of the, this hotel. And, you know, I, I, I feel like anything can be a song. So Mm. like, I just was like, Oh, I'll just like sit down and write, you know, I, I really love this like history in like country and roots music of murder ballads, you know, Mm. um, um, you know, particularly like there's all these old folk songs that are about like people getting murdered, you know, (laughs) um, uh, and then, um, there, I don't know if you're familiar with, there used to be a history of, I think this started in England where they, there would be gallows singers mm. where they would literally, like, if somebody was getting hanged for a crime, there would be singers like your songwriters who would go down there and who would like make up songs about that person's crimes and then would like sell the sheet music. Right. And this is when, and I like, so. I've always been really fascinated with this. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, get, I'll give it a try. I'll write mm. my own, you know, murder ballad. Yeah. Um, and we were in the middle of writing the album and my producer came over and I was like, I'm, you know, bear with me. I'm going to show you this song, but <laughs> you're probably going to think it's stupid. And he was like, not only do I like it, I think you need to tell like the whole fucking story because <laughs> at the time it was your standard first chorus, first chorus, yeah. right? Like, and he was like, I want to know like the whole story. Um, and there's like a raconteurs uh, song that like kind of inspired it a little bit. Like, I don't remember what the title is, but it's like, you know, similarly, it's yeah. like eight minutes long. It's like a, you know, um, um, and, I, and so we were like, okay, like, what is this going to look like if I like re- just give like all of the details? And I will say to this day, it's probably the longest it's taken me to like write a song mm-hmm. um, because figuring out how to write eight verses that rhyme and tell some a somewhat like uh you know cohesive story and are not boring is like pretty big challenge but it was just a really it was fun and Mm. um it actually when we recorded it was the final it was the last song that we recorded we had three days in the studios we like basically were living there like Mm. Um, we were live tracking everything. So I was in the vocal booth at the same time the band was tracking. Um, cause we just had to do that because we had really limited time. And also I just like that. 
mm. technique for recording because for me i feel like a lot of the energy gets lost if i yeah. just have to like stand in a booth by myself and sing a song you know i just mm. lose because so much i'm like a very much a live performer you know like i i feel like i lose a lot of that energy in the recording studio and so um it was we saved it for last because we were like we knew we wanted to get kind of experimental with it and so we just wanted to be like we didn't want to be on a time crunch we were like yeah we're gonna get through all the other songs then whatever time we have left that's what we're gonna and we had we ended up actually getting through uh nine songs uh because there was one that didn't make the album nine songs in the first two days and so we had like most of the third day to just like record this Mm. song and my producer like in the call she told all of like our our session musicians like bring every instrument that you have <laughs> like bring anything weird we had, like toy pianos mm. um my bass player bought a theremin <laughs> you know i had a little melodica that our keyboard player ended up playing on um and i like it still it makes me like giddy every time i hear the little melodica notes mm. in the song because it just like it was the funnest. It was like the most fun I've ever had in the studio. It was like, we we're just being ridiculous. Like my drummer is really excited because um, we recorded him uh, using his vape pen. So now he has a vape <laughs> pen credit on, on the album. <laughs> um, and just ridiculous stuff. Like they were at one point, you know, they like recorded the chains and there yeah. was, uh, there was, at one point we like turned the symbols on the drums upside down and like loosened everything, you know, and just mm. like getting as much noise as we could. That's so um, cool. And yeah, so it's like, it's, it's, my, it's probably my favorite song on the album just because <laughs> like we really, like I had full permission to just like, we just got as weird with it as we yeah. wanted to get, you know? Yeah. No, that's awesome. What I really like about this song was the fact that it's kind of like, it's in three acts. So it yeah. is like you do have that time to kind of digest things. It's not, you know, like, because I think like sometimes like Woody Guthrie songs and Bob Dylan songs can be guilty of like, here's 50 verses, not much is going to change. And you just have to deal with like a 12 minute song. <laughs> well, what I really liked about this was it is that journey of the thing. And it is, you know, what was your initial in with this? Because what I enjoyed was, you know, the setup of the hotel was the hotel's a character, you know, it's like yeah. you, you address it as she. Was that yeah, the yeah. first in you had for the air song was the hotel as the character itself? Yeah. And that, that for sure, that's, that is kind of how I wanted to convey that because that's how it felt to me when I was like, because when I first heard about this story, it was like, okay, on its own, this is an interesting mystery. Mm. Right. But then I just am really, I love this idea that like places have memories. Yeah, I'm not like, I don't know how much, you know, I'm, I wasn't, raised religious or anything i don't like so i i think i i just like think of all that like anything spiritual is just like an it's interesting to me because you know like i think it's like you know yeah it's all just like an interesting theory yeah. you know um and so like i i love this idea of like places having memories and like kind of being embedded with like the things that have happened there and so you know definitely when i like when i was doing background you know basically when my producer said i want to know the whole thing you know I was like reading all these books and listening to podcasts and like watching documentaries about, you know, the hotel and, and, and all of this stuff. And so like, to me, it did become a character. Like Mm -hmm. the hotel is a character in the song because it's kind of about, yeah, it's about Ray Rivera and what happened to him, but it's also kind of about, it's like almost from 
the perspective of this like hotel that's seen all of these things mm-hmm. you know yeah it's just the last in a long line of like tragedies and weird yeah things exactly happen. yeah yeah but no i enjoyed that because like i'm a like true crime and made a mystery fan myself and my wife's obsessed with it and things i think we watched the unsolved mystery of that and it reminded me of like the cecil hotel one and all yeah. those things uh-huh. but um it's it's hard i think with those things because i remember watching the cecil hotel one and i thought it was quite like kitschy and cheap how they did it was very like tmz and i think you can kind of run the risk of sound like you're just cashing in but this was so well done i have a song called a mothman Mm -hmm. it's about the mothman down in west oh yeah but the Mm -hmm. second verse is talking about the bridge collapse and i was like worrying when i was writing it because you don't want to cheapen a tragedy that was a real thing and it is like a really delicate line to cross and i think you fucking nailed it on this song it's such a like great eight minute epic of a like folk song that like has like a rock edge to it. i really enjoyed it oh thank you yeah i mean that definitely was like a conscious thought that i had right because like his wife his you know widow, yeah, these people exist alive. yeah like you know and and he, he you know his, his family out there right and so it's like it's you don't want to like cheapen it or like you know, yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a dramatization because that's what art is, Mm. you know, but that is, I think part of another part of the reason that I wanted to focus on like the hotel, like as the observer of these events. Right. Because I didn't want it to just be like a sensationalized, like, you know, account of what happened to this guy. Right. And so, but it is, it's like, you know, it's a line you have to walk because it's like, you know, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to sensationalize and I don't want to mm. be like gross about it. Yeah. Like this person's like real, like a real person that lived and died and, you know, um, but also there's a certain amount of like artistic license yeah. that you take when you're writing about a thing that happened, mm. right? especially in a song, because it's not an, it's not a biography. It's, yeah. it's a piece of art. And so like, it also has to flow and rhyme and, and and kind of bring people along in the story, you know, it has to ebb and flow and it has to have peaks and valleys. Right. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that like for sure was a consideration that I had. Fortunately, I'm a small enough artist that I don't think that it, his wife is probably ever going to, you know, like, I'm like, yeah. I, it's not like I'm, you know, Bob Dylan, you know, <laughs> like, you know, mm. writing a song and then everybody's going to hear it. Right. Like that's yeah. kind of the luxury of being an independent artist. Isn't yeah. It? But I also think, you know, if you're at that level, this is done in a respectful, interesting way. It's not, you know, glamorizing or doing anything that would make, make it seem untoward. Cause I know going through like, especially like the YouTube ones that aren't necessarily like, screened by Netflix or have a high production, oh, yeah. but you're yeah. someone checking it is like, what the fuck? Like, you need to dial it oh, yeah. down on what you're saying about this. And it's, you know, yeah. when it turns into like the glam, like especially the serial killer ones, when it yeah. starts glamorizing, like how intelligent and amazing they are. And you're like, yeah, what the fuck are you guys yeah. saying? Like, it's one yeah. of those things that's a really tight line to walk. Have you thought, not that you want to get into a stereotypical genre, but have, has there been any others that have jumped to mind in terms of like unsolved mysteries that you've thought would make a cool song? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so it's funny because I think is, I don't know if you've experienced this, you know, I don't, I don't think that this is a unique experience on my behalf, but like, I find that I go through like, um, phases as a songwriter where like, 
you know, during the record, I was writing a lot about like, from my perspective and people that I knew and mm. like Belvedere, you know, almost was, it, it was like, it's interesting because it was kind of part of the shift that I was doing where I was like, okay, I've covered this ground a mm. lot now. You know? So I'm starting to look outside of me and outside of my personal experiences. And I'm starting to think about like other people's experiences and telling other people's stories. Right. Um, and so, yeah, actually I have like, I, I, I think more now, since we finished writing the record, a lot of the material that I've been writing since then certainly has focused a lot more on like it, you know, like I, I, you know, just a story that I heard or like a Mm. folk legend or something, you know, um, where it's not something that I'm personally connected to. And actually, um, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, Dolly Parton's America. No, Um, I've just been recommended that it's something I need to it's so good it's so good so good and like I was already a fan of Dolly because like who is it but it just it was so it literally like they're interviewing her like talking her through her career right Mm. like and the first episode is called sad ass songs and she's talking about how like you know growing up like you know she had a lot of these like folk songs you know that you would just learn right because you Mm. like play them at jams or whatever with your friends and your family members on your porch and uh and so that was her foundation for how she wrote songs. And so she wrote a lot of like really sad songs. And so like, um, I don't remember the name of the song, but it's like, there's, um, she had a song like a boy, you know, the boy named Andy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and he's like homeless and he has like his little yeah. doll. And like, she was like, that was kind of what I was writing a lot of at that time. And like, my producer was like, Hey, can you stop writing all these sad songs? <laughs> <laughs> But it just really inspired me to think about like, that's so interesting, right? Because I think a lot of us as songwriters do go through those phases, right? And so I've been inspired by that. And I really have tried to think about like, let's take this story that has nothing to do with me, like, Mm. and, and, you know, and, and tell a story that people can relate to right like Mm. um even if like they haven't specifically been through it and so and that was like she had said in this interview like basically you know I just really like putting myself in other people's shoes and sharing their experiences because I think when we put ourselves in other people's shoes like it makes us more empathetic and we can you know like if I tell the story of a woman you know who you know, got, uh, knocked up by her boyfriend who then abandoned her. Mm. And then she throws herself off a bridge. Right. Which is like one of the saddest Dolly Parton songs of all time. Um, like that does kind of force you, even if you've never been anywhere near that situation, it forces you to think about that perspective and to think about that person's life and, yeah they're going through. Right. And so I loved that because I think I've always kind of felt like, Oh, you know, this had to be something that I like experienced Mm. or something that I know about personally, you know, and I've definitely had like a shift towards like just wanting to tell people's stories. Right. Mm. I've told my story and I probably will keep telling my story, but I also just really want to like get into other people's heads and like, think about what their life experience is like, Mm. and maybe like, you know, share that. Yeah. No, totally. I think that's a great thing. And that's like what Dolly's done well with her stuff. And folks like you see, like Jason Isbell does it and John mm-hmm. Prine, where you have those story songs that they're adopting characters. Because I remember I saw ages ago, someone was just like, it's lazy to assume every song someone sings is about them. 
But that's yeah. kind of the mentality we're brought up and if that's yeah. the main thing is if you are singing this song you have experienced that in some way and it's like well no it can be characters of things it can be you know other people's stories and it does like it's like jump angel from montgomery is a prime example like yeah. the opening line is i am an old woman and it's you know a young yeah, right. john prime singing it and it's like yeah, I, remember right. be- I remember being younger and like not understanding that you could right. do that in a song and being like oh you can not lie but you can just create a whole new world for this song to exist in and it's a really like freeing creative possibility that once you realize and accept it opens up so many doors it does and you know I think it's it's I think in some ways by like putting ourselves in the shoes of people like other people right Mm. that may not have been your experience but you are imagining at that point how you would respond to that experience right um and so I think what it does when you do that is it really makes you find kind of the, like a little bit of the universal truth, mm. right? Cause it's like, I, you know, I don't know what it's like to be in that situation, but here's how I imagine I would handle this. Or like, here's what I can imagine people would be yeah. feeling in that situation. And so to do that, you have to take yourself out of your own lived experience and background. And you have to think about what would I do if I I was this person? Right. And so when you do that, like, I think it really like the listener ends up putting themselves in that, like Mm. they, they can see themselves in this situation because you've created a world in which we are all collectively imagining how we would respond. Right. Mm. Um, And yet it is very freeing. It just Mm. allows you to kind of think about like the, the, like, the nuance of the the human experience, right? Yeah. Like it's not black and white. And particularly, you know, we love to write about characters that are flawed mm. um, and characters that have redemption arcs, you mm. know, and, and, you know, sometimes that's us and sometimes it's other people. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm with like this album, the EP you brought out a few years ago, the rough sides one, the tracks on that are on this was, were they the kind of like oldest songs you'd been sat with for this record or how old is like this oldest song you have on this record so so actually the ep came out of um we were uh um that was all scratch tracks from the album mm. so when, oh, yeah. we, when we first started produ- like planning the album right we the first thing that we did is we would go through batches of songs um and then we would kind of myself and my producer dylan walsh um we would sit down and talk about like in each session we talk about like three songs right Mm. and I would like show him first I'd play it for him and then I would like show him some songs that like I was kind of inspired by or like that had a vibe I was trying Mm. to pull from or even sometimes I literally was just showing him like a tiny clip of a song where I'm like Mm. I like this one thing you know um you know and then he would show me stuff and then we would kind of do that back and forth until we knew that we were both on the same page Mm. with like the vibe we were trying to create and then um do any like rewrites that needed to happen you know usually he he didn't really do any writing on the album but he would say I think that this needs to be reworked I think you need to be more like concise with your language Mm. here or like you know whatever um and that actually worked really well and then so once we'd done that we went and we did the scratch tracks um so that the band would have something to prepare them but also to listen to while they were like because we were going to be playing everything live um and so that was just me 
um, and, and my guitar, oh, and, awesome. you know, and a mic in a room, right? Like literally in his house. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and we just recorded them for utility, but then, um, after we'd finished the album and you know how things are with the album cycles, it's like, it takes, you know, once you recorded the album, you're like, okay, now I've, now the real work starts, yeah. you know, I have to do, get all the logistics organized. Um, and I knew that that was going to take a while. And I was like, man, I really want to like release something, <laughs> you know, um, I'm so excited about these songs. And so, you know, he was like, well, why don't we just do a little bit of treatment on the scratch tracks and we could like release those like, you know, mm. um, and I thought that that was really a cool idea because I liked the idea of it being like just really raw and the most stripped down version of the songs, mm. you know? And so we chose, you know, the three songs for the EP um, and released those as rough sides. And, and, you know, I thought it was really cool, like, just because it helps get you out of your head a little bit of mm. like everything, you know, I think we live in an age where we think like, we're just so used to hearing the final product that we like, think everything has to come out perfect. Yeah. And so it was fun to kind of have that experience of being like, I'm just going to release these like rough um acoustic tracks like that were recorded in in you know my producer's house you know um because I think it was a fun way to get to like share the kind of beginning of the mm. journey towards oh. the album awesome and with working with Dylan as a producer was the thought process you needed a producer and you wanted to like look around or did you know Dylan first and then make it into a collaboration for this record yeah, so he's actually an old friend. Um, like he's he's played with me a couple times um as a lead guitar player, and his primary um like 90% of of his day is taken up by he he's a touring musician. He tours with different bands, like you know, he gets tired to go out on the road, you know. Mm. Um, he does session work. Um, so he is a professional lead guitar player, right? Like that's like his, what he does. But obviously during the pandemic, everything was shut down and for the first time in literally years, we were both in the same place at the same time. Uh, and like, so I just like dropped by his house and I was like, you know, to just to hang out and we were just mm -hmm. shooting the shit. And, you know, he was kind of talking about how like work had really dried up and, you know, and he was trying to focus more on some like creative projects that he had been putting on the back burner. And he mentioned that he um, had really started um, in some of the session work that he had been doing, he had started getting, you know, started kind of assisting, um, yeah. doing some of the, like um, engineering stuff oh, in awesome. the studio. And he was getting really into producing and was really mm. excited about this. And so I was like, well, I've been writing like crazy. Like I have like half an album ready to go. Like, mm. let's talk, you know? And so, you know, I actually just, he was like, well, yeah, just send me some stuff, you know? Um, and then I did send him like, again, just like phone recordings of some songs that I had been writing, um, kind of expecting that he would be like, oh yeah, cool. You know, like, and then, you know, wouldn't go anywhere, but he mm -hmm. was like, I'm really excited about this. Like, I really think that like, I, you know, I would have a lot to contribute on this like project. Like, let's just yeah. do one pre-production session and just like, see how it goes. And then like, you know, we can go from there. And the first time we met up again, just like went over three songs and like instantly I felt like we were speaking the same language. And I was like, 
he gets what I'm yeah. trying to go for. Like he understood the vibe and whenever he was contributing, it was, it was always based on like my vision for yeah. the song. Right. Um, and then it was like, he's very, his style of collaboration is very additive rather than like, he's, he's usually adding things rather than taking them away. And so I really felt like that served it was like it ended up being layers of both of us on you know the final product really was a Mm. collaboration of like how we wanted these songs to be arranged the vibe we wanted to give off um you know the the little instrumentations that we wanted to add in right um all of that was so like highly collaborative and so i wasn't necessarily looking for like a producer yeah but it just was like a right place right time kind of thing um you know and and um just ended up being like very you know we both were just really it just is one of those things like i don't know if you you know as an artist like sometimes you just it's hard to describe what made that particular situation yeah. in that particular time and that like everything just lined up it just felt like everything was lining up even when we booked our studio time you know 3 days in the studio to record 10 songs originally nuts that is (laughs) we literally and and we didn't think we were just like this is just gonna be a foundation we're just gonna like see what we can get done um you know and we ended up getting like 85 percent of the record record we had some stuff like flown Mm -hmm. in and you know um added in in post but like most of what you hear on the record was all recorded live Mm. um and i think it really for me it really retains a lot of it's like that energy that was in the room that was so important to me no totally that's what i get from that record is it is like it's got that edge and vibe to it of it being urgent and it is a really present record that's what i really enjoy but with it comes out september 2nd is it yes yeah this podcast will come out at the end of august so i think i'll try and time it so it's the week of um but why kind of your plans around the album have you got any tours booked or you've got like obviously you've got a show like a album launch show in august what's the like schedule or plan for playing it live so um we're doing a big hometown show on august 12th um just because i like my community around here has always been so supportive of my music and i really wanted them to have like the first crack at the album Mm. you know um so this is really going to be like a preview slash just like a big party yeah um you know so that we can like really showcase the album my producer's flying in like we're gonna like he's gonna play with us like we have a bunch of the original players um my drummer on the album actually is my like full-time drummer Mm. now um uh but um you know a bunch of the other players on the album are gonna come in for the album release and we're it's just gonna be a big party we're gonna have a lot of fun um basically my entire august is like nuts i mean Mm. i don't know how things are in the uk but like summer in washington is like it's the only time we get to like be outside. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like people, you know, want to do all of the things. So it's like everything happens within these like two months, um, you know, from like kind of mid July to like mm. September where it's like everything is happening. So we're pretty much book solid. You know, we've got a ton of really fun shows in regionally in the Pacific Northwest um, in August. And then in September, I'm going to be in Nashville for the Americana Music Association um, awards and everything. And, and, and just checking out some, you know, I'm going to, you know, just get to like hang out with friends that Mm. 
I haven't seen it yeah. since the world shut down and, and, um, catch a bunch of, I have some friends that are showcasing, I I'm working on some like unofficial stuff. Um, and then I'm hoping, uh, to kind of make that into like a little mini run down to, I was going to do like Memphis and then New Orleans oh, awesome. in September and then fly home. Mm. Um, so just a little mini thing, mm. you know, um, but touring's not as economical as it used to be. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, definitely just planning on like really enjoying the, you know, the album finally being out and yeah. available to the masses and playing, you know, getting it in front of as many people as I can, just playing a bunch of shows. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, I think that sounds like the best place to uh, leave it because I really can't wait for more people to listen to this. It has been, because I've only had the uh, SoundCloud link and it's been really fun to win just enjoy and sit down and listen to. And um, I can't wait until it's out in the world for more people to enjoy. Well, thank you so much. Me neither. I'm really excited. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's so, it's so fun to get to like share it with people. Um, you know, like I gotta like, you know, my publicist has to like get me under control. Cause I just want to like give it to everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that defeats the purpose yeah. of having an album to sell. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I'm just really excited for everybody to hear it. It's really, it's just something that I like, I'm so passionate about like mm-hmm. I genuinely like this was not a record like we're we're just like oh we're here in our album release cycle we need to do an album we haven't done enough it really was just like it was a record that was made just because we felt yeah like everything the stars were aligning yeah you know, so. it, it was a record that needed to happen not one that yeah 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 exactly yeah, no, yeah but I'm, I appreciate your, you know, your um, kind words and taking the time for me today. And uh, yeah, I just can't wait to share it with everybody. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And there you have it, you rogues, rapscallions, rascals, and rebels. I hope you enjoyed episode 51 of the Rogue Country podcast. No longer into the van, we've moved forward. And go check out Brittany Collins' her new album, Things I Tell My Therapist, is out everywhere from Friday the 2nd of September. And it is a doozy. I highly recommend it. Until next time, folks, keep supporting the things you love. Keep doing the things you love. And peace.